Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attacked those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, he said, fight. You can't fight. He said, withstand. You can't withstand. He said, stand. What does it mean to stand? He said, don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast for us, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here. I have my son Jonathan with me again, and we are back on Calvinism, okay? Calvinism. So this week we are on, uh, they call it point number three, limited atonement, limited atonement. So Jonathan, what is limited atonement? Right, so limited limited atonement, um, they, they like to always kind of redefine it a little bit um, to make it maybe make it a little more palatable um, but so that they'll use the term definite atonement um, this uh, I've heard is the the doctrine in search of a text um, and uh, and let's say that again you hear that it is called over and over almost anywhere the doctrine that is in search of a text why because there is no verse no verse that says this. So go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. And 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 so um, definite atonement. And this is the talking about specifically Jesus's blood when he died, his sacrifice. When he said it is finished, and he paid for hell. Did he pay for hell for all the world? Did he pay for hell for some of the world? Did he pay for hell just for the elect? Um, they believe that he he died for all but not all, and that's why it's called limited. So, uh, and I, I guess we'll get into how, how they want to cut that up. Yes. Um, so, um, R.C., we talk about him a bunch. When I started this, I asked some Calvinists, okay, who's the best teacher out there on Calvinism? And so we talk about him. He is um, probably to, I don't know, almost everyone, the authority, uh, one of the big authorities on that, who's taught on it. And um, But, boy, listening to what he taught, it was just just amazing. They spent some time um, trying to say that some of us are universalist, or if we believe that he died for all, then we must be universalist because 
if Jesus died for all, and we're going to get into it next time, there's irresistible grace, meaning if he died for all and irresistible grace, we can't reject God's grace, then everybody would be saved, and that's universalism, okay? And so... Um, Jonathan quotes it before, but they um, R.C. Sproul says that if you take one of these points, it's not true. The whole doctrine falls apart, and and that's what happens with this because they're all connected together, and you can't have one without the other, and it all falls apart. And this limited atonement is definitely um, the one where it all falls apart on. So that's where they get that. So they try to say, okay, universalism. No, we don't believe that. Um, Jesus died for all, but you have to accept him as your savior. And we've already talked. Yes, we have in point number one. We have we know good from evil. We have a conscience. And so when we know that we are sinners and we know that we deserve hell and we know that Jesus died, buried, and rose again and paid our hell and offers us a free gift of eternal life just to accept Jesus as our payment, um, that's nothing good on our part. That's only one work, the work to believe on him whom he has sent, like the Bible says in John 6. Um, that's all that is. That's not a work. It's believing only on Jesus to save us. And he died to save the world. So, um, and then, uh, with R.C. Sproul, the other thing that he went into, he just went into one verse. I mean, one verse and saying people who believe like us, they use this verse. So I'm going to go ahead and start with that. Um, so uh, Jonathan, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, um, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So they believe that Jesus only died for some. By the way, they go into it and it's, it's, they want to be intellectual. And so they use gigantic words and flowery terms and they start out what limited atonement is not. And then they get you down a universal trail and then they try to bring you back. And if you just listen to that, you can almost agree with what they're saying because they're not saying what limited atonement really is. Jesus only died for some. And so then people like us, we say, what about this verse? And then, so Jonathan, what would they do with this verse? Because to us, it reads very simply, there's no limited um, atonement in that verse. What would they do with that? Right, so uh, they like to take any verse that has, like I just used, an absolute. Um, they like to take those and say, well, that any doesn't mean any, that all doesn't mean all, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all doesn't mean all of the world, that all means uh, all of the elect, because he chose them. From the foundation of the world so of course he's not willing that they should perish because he already chose them i i listen to responses like that and i go then why is he saying this if they're chosen before the foundation of the world why is he saying that he's not willing that they should perish who needs to hear that they've been chosen if you come up with that that definition why did the scripture say that why did it need to say that I, yeah. I, I listen to a, a response that you say, oh, that all, that, that meant all of the elect and not all of the world. Or, and I, I said, then why did it have to say that? I think it's saying all that way any person, Jew, Greek, Gentile can say, oh, all means me too. And, and so they'll use that too. They'll say all just means all of 
some of the world, meaning of every race, of every type of people, but not all people. So um, then First John 2, 2, okay? And, and again, a simple verse that we just read, okay, in 2 Peter 3, um, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You have a normal 12-year-old read that verse, and it's very understandable. You have to so slice and dice that, and so into the Greek, into the original. Well, uh, there's three different things that could mean, and they literally go into this. Willing could be three different things, and they have to go in there. No, he's willing. God's not willing that any should perish. So what did he do? He gave his only begotten son to pay for our sins. So First um, John 2, 2, and he is a propitiation for our sins, colon, and not ours only, comma, but also for the sins of the whole world. What do they do with that? Okay. Um, and by the way, there are sometimes contexts where when it says all in the book of Galatians, he's talking to the Galatians. Okay. Uh, yeah. There's some context there where you have to see who wrote it, who penned it, who did they pen it to? I, I agree with that. Um, but there are verses like this, like, okay, who is the whole world? Oh, that doesn't really mean the whole world. What do they do with that? Yeah. And honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, for for verses like this they like normally they like to say when you get to because p- people without a uh, a lot of bible knowledge maybe that that are newer christians and they've read john three sixteen and it's for god so loved the world and and they get it confronted by a calvinist and they say the calvinists tell them that no god didn't die for the whole world and in John three sixteen, when it says he loved the whole world that world doesn't mean all of the world, but all of some, uh, some of the world, <laughs> meaning some of the peoples of all the world, right? And, and so they, they get told that, but here it doesn't say just the world. It says the whole world. It's, it's like maybe they knew that it had to be even more nailed down that it's not just the world, but the whole world. Yeah, it is amazing. And, and when, when you hear them talk and you literally look for the verses and we're going to go through some things that they, how they try to twist and change that, but there, there is no verse. There's no verse for limited atonement. Okay. There's some things where they can try to put it together with some illogical logic. Okay. And we'll talk about that, but, but there is no verse for that. When you look at verses for what we would say is unlimited atonement, meaning it's not limited to a few people, the elect, the chosen, uh, the predestined. It is Jesus died for the whole world. There are so many verses. And it's like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Here's this one. We love it. Isaiah, Old Testament, 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Very interesting. We have two alls there. Jonathan, explain uh, what would they do with uh, which all is all and which all is not all. Right. So they, they want to first take um, the, the first part of that. All we like sheep have gone astray, and they want to take us as sheep and say, okay, we are the, the sheep as the elect, we're God's elect there. We've gone astray. And so when it's saying we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord laid the iniquity, uh, hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, oh, that all is talking about the all of the elect. God's taken the iniquity of all of the elect. And so then they'll take that verse and say, see, yeah, I agree with that verse too. The, the problem is when, who is Isaiah talking to? 
this is the Old Testament, right? Right. He's talking to Israel, and he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And it didn't say necessarily that they are the sheep, his followers, but it says like sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. This is talking to Israel. Now, Israel, is every Jew going to be saved? Is every Israelite going to be saved? No. No. So Jews that aren't going to be saved, he's taken their iniquity to, that all we like sheep have gone astray, that the, I believe the context of this is is talking to the Jews, but we can take as Gentiles and look at the promises that were given to the Jews and take them upon ourselves too. That's why it talks about us being grafted in. Um, so the promises that they got, we have those too. And all we like sheep, and it's true, have gone astray. We turned our way and God took our iniquity on him, on the cross. That's what he did. It's amazing. So the first all, um, all like sheep have gone astray, they would say, well, of course, that is the whole world, total depravity. Okay, we are all gone astray. And they would agree, that's the whole world. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. No, though, that's only for us. That's only for the elect. Wait, same verse, same word, all. How can one be the whole world? We've all gone astray. But the second all is only for us. That's the one that's, that's sort of like, that's the kind of mental gymnastics you have to do to be able to try to make this doctrine fit in the Bible because, because it just does not. All right, Jonathan, one of the verses they use and, and they use this often um, at times the word many. Uh, here's one verse, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. See, not all, just many. Uh, see, so they got it. It's not for all, it's many. Right, so we want to take many, or they want to take many and create some boundaries on it. They want to put a number on many. So the, uh, according to Calvinists, the, uh, since the foundation of the world, there's been a select number of people chosen to be saved. That number, only God knows. Um, he chose them for his glory, right? This is what the Calvinists believe. So w- when they read this verse, they automatically read into it that gave his life a ransom for many. They go, oh, yes. The many is talking about the elect. But to someone that has not been submerged in the doctrine of Calvinism, when, he, when they read that he's given his life a ransom for many, they see that as a lot because many means a lot. Not every person is going to accept this gift. He died for a lot of people, a large number of people. You know what also works as a large number of people? Many, everybody, eternity, past to present and future, all of the world. So you have to read into it and go, well, that many means this, and I define many this way. If you read all of the Bible, where do you glean this? Where do you draw this out and put your Calvinist lens on and to say, oh, that ransom for many excludes other and then and then they use a logical fallacy um and and we'll explain explain this more um but you assume things that aren't there right uh something called let me go into that 
Let me go into that now because this is sheep and a good time yep. to be able to do that. So um, in John chapter 10, this is um, one of the ones that they'll try to explain that it's limited atonement. And uh, so in John chapter 10, um, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so it's only the sheep are the ones that are eternal life. And I know them and they know me and it's just limited. Um, those are the only ones that believed on me. Those are the only ones that are died for. And so this, uh, this negative uh, inference here, go and explain, uh, explain that. What are they talking about? How do they separate that and say, see, 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 it's just for the, um, it's just for the, um, the group of the ones that are sheep. Right. So you, you, not to make this where somebody doesn't understand, we want to use these to, to break it down. Negative inference, you're inferring the negative. So because of one thing, then you must conclude another. Well, you, negative inference does work for some things when there's less options, but you exclude all other options. So because of one thing, the other can't be true. Um, just Let me because give- of one thing. Let me give some of those illustrations. So, so here's what they say, okay, in this in the sheep in there. Christ died for his sheep. Okay, agree with that. Pharisees are not his sheep. I agree with that. And here's their negative inference. Therefore, Christ did not die for the Pharisees. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And and it is illogical logic. Okay. It is a logical fallacy, but they get you thinking, okay, Christ died for sheep. Yes. Pharisees are not a sheep. Okay. So, so Jesus didn't die for the Pharisees. Okay. And what Jesus would do when you had these theological issues that came up and they were that he would take and break it down and make it very simple in an earthly illustration um, there. So here, all Orthodox Jews believe in Moses. Smith is not an Orthodox Jew. Therefore, Smith does not believe in Moses. Hmm. Same thing. Uh, Jonathan, are you an Orthodox Jew? I am not. You are not. Um, okay, then you don't believe in Moses. <laughs> Wait, no. You still believe in Moses, okay? That's a right. negative inference. You cannot infer the negative of that always to all people and all things. Okay, another one. Right. Um, John loves Mary. Bill is not Mary. Therefore, John does not love Bill. Okay? So you're saying that just because John loves Mary, that John only loves Mary? No. He's got a best friend named Bill and his brother Fred, and he loves his friend and he loves his brother. Um, It's not saying it's just that. So when Jesus died for the sheep, okay, okay, he's not saying he only died for the sheep. He died for, as we've shown over and over in the Bible for the whole world. So, right. so those are first illogical John, illustrations. John 2, 2, just, yeah, First John two two. We just went over this. The the whole world and and uh, another simple um, illustration. It uh, I am number four of eleven. If my father told all the kids together, "Hey, you, we're going to have ice cream when we get home," and then me separate. Hey, you can have ice cream when you get home. And we get home, and then I tell everyone else, no, only I get ice cream, because he told me individually. Well, what about the other parts where he said everyone? Just because he tells one separate doesn't mean it negates the other that he told all. 
And I believe all should have ice cream. Amen? Right. <laughs> I believe in all. So, um, so there's something since we're on this, and I want you to see this choice that's there. Uh, something they call a double payment argument. And here's what they say. If God punished the sins of someone on the cross and then punished the sinner again in hell, then God would be unjust on his part. Because he paid for the sins of the whole world, and now the sinner has to pay for his own sin. That's a double payment, and that's just not right. By the way, the Bible never, never, ever uses that, but that's something they use for that. But very simply, it's this. Um, They want to think the payment was made, the payment has to be accepted. But just because the payment was made doesn't have to be accepted. For instance, Okay, they do this thing when you're going through, I don't drink coffee, but going through the coffee line, oh, somebody in front of you paid for your bill. No, thank you. I'll pay for my own bill. Do you have to accept that or can you pay your own bill? You pay your own. It was already paid for. I don't care if they paid for it or not. I'm paying for my bill. I don't want anybody to pay for mine, and I know I'm not going to pay for the guy behind me. I don't care. I'm paying for my bill, okay? Um, And that's the same way it is for salvation, and it's a choice. There's a beautiful story, and true, and I looked it up just for this, and this is from the CBMC International, just so I'm going to read, read what they, um, the way they wrote it in this. Um, and so um, uh, in 1929, two men, George Wilson and James Porter, robbed a United States mail carrier. Both were sub- sub- subsequently sorry, captured and tried in a court of law. In May 1830, both men were found guilty of six charges, including robbery of the mail and putting the life of the driver in jeopardy. Both Wilson and Porter received their sentences, execution by hanging to be carried out on July 2nd. Porter was executed on schedule, but Wilson was not. Influential friends pled for mercy to the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson, on his behalf. President Jackson issued a formal pardon, dropping all charges. Wilson refused the pardon. Refused it. The official report stated Wilson chose to waive and decline any advantage or protection which might be supposed to arise from the pardon. Wilson also stated he, quote, had nothing to say and did not wish in any manner to avail himself in order to avoid sentence. It went to the U.S. Supreme Court. They determined, quote, the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. It is a grant to him. It is his property, and it and he may accept it or not as he pleases. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote, quote, A pardon is an act of grace, proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws. But delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in a court to force it on him. And so when they talk about this this doctrine of limited atonement, they say, in the beginning, did God plan to atone for all the sins of the world? Yes. (laughs) Um, What they want to say is, no, God had a definite plan to pardon and to pay for the sins of the ones that were going to believe on him. And and it was just for them. So, John, we talked about it earlier, and you wanted to go to Exodus. Uh, I think it's a good time for for that. And um, this Passover, okay, the picture of Christ, the picture of the Lamb, the picture of the blood, the picture, okay? So uh, who did the Passover lamb come um, who could have passed over or who was going to die? What was that? What could have happened there? Well, uh, I'd like to, to put a little tag on, on the story you just told um, just sure. because it brings, brings it down to such a, 
understanding level of something that we we kind of understand today. Um, because the option was given to him to accept or reject it, um, if he accepted it, does that then glorify him that he accepted it? Mm, yeah. Because according to Calvinists, if we are able to accept it, realizing that we're bad, right, or, or that man in that story realizing that he is bad, if he accepts that pardon, does that then glorify him somehow? I, I just, I don't follow their logic to assume that now, ah, yes, I have accepted the payment that Christ paid for me. That glorifies me how? How does it glorify him that a president pardoned him? It doesn't. It doesn't glorify him at all. He didn't do anything good for it, but just accept or reject it. Yeah. And Absolutely. and if he rejects it, if he rejects it, does that somehow shine bad on the president? I don't see how. Right. Because they would like to say on the, on the opposite of that 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 if it is our in our power to accept or reject it, that somehow God is not all powerful or sovereign. No, God chose to leave it up to Him. That to me is more sovereign because He chose to allow him. Calvinists don't want to, to leave it open to God to choose. So I know that goes back into uh, unconditional election. and uncon Well, that's because all this stuff ties together. But just think about that in a illustration of something maybe we can understand a little better. Right. How does that then glorify us? It doesn't make sense to me. But uh, Exodus 12 is a picture of the atonement for our sin, right? And that is the Passover. And then the, the Jews repeat this over and over, remembering the Passover, the lamb slain. When God told them, okay, the firstborn of every family is going to die. And think about the firstborn. Who is that picturing? There needs to be a payment for sin, right? So the firstborn is going to be slain unless there's a payment made. But the Passover angel, the death angel, when he was passing over, did he pass over them if the lamb was slain or if the blood was applied? Yeah. And we get confused on this. The blood applied or, or the lamb slain, you can, if they would have just slain the lamb, and they forgot <laughs> or, or whatever, if they didn't apply it, that death angel is not going to just pass over. That's the same for us. The lamb has been slain. Unless we accept the payment and then that blood is applied, our sins are, are not paid for. And I, I don't understand how it's so difficult to see this in that they they try to get the cart before the horse and oh if you uh, like you were just going going for the the double payment and all that it it's not that difficult once because we 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 live in time Christ doesn't right his payment was made before the foundation of the world not when we know it in our linear timeline the payment was made way back then it's 
it's for each individual person to see the evidence, the glory of God in all that God has created and then accept or reject that. And that's what it says in Romans 1, too. That's why you will be without... Um, uh, without excuse. Without excuse. Exactly. Yeah. In, in Romans 1. Because of why? Yeah. Not because the atonement wasn't there, but because you didn't apply it. So, yes, it, it is. So amazing. Here's this Egyptian. They've been watching these 10 plagues, or these nine plagues so far, and they realize God is with the Jews and they're over there and say, what are you guys doing? And, oh, it's the death angel coming tonight. It's a Passover. We have to take a lamb and here's what we have to do. And it's like, I believe your God. I believe your God is real. Could I have some blood to sprinkle on the top and sides of my um, doorpost and house too? If they gave them that blood, they believed that that blood applied would save them and that Egyptian house had blood applied to them, what would happen? <laughs> that firstborn would not have been killed. What is that? <clears throat> that is unlimited atonement. Jesus died for everybody. Here's these heathen Egyptians. They're not chosen if they choose the blood of Christ, then they are. So, um, so neat. So, um, Jonathan, there is um, very few people that the Bible talks about. Uh, well, we know there's a lot of people in hell, and hell hath enlarged itself, but very few people talk from hell. Um, how would somebody in hell, would they believe, uh, believe um in this doctrine of unlimited atonement, uh, sorry, limited atonement, that he only died for, for a few, does that make sense with someone who is literally speaking from hell? Right. I, I, it is this story. I, I love this story. And, and you, uh, uh, you, you for sure heard many sermons about this. Um, so you've got the rich man and Lazarus. And, and they both die and Lazarus goes to heaven and, and the rich man goes to hell. And, and Lazarus says, uh, have, says to Abraham, have Lazarus take his finger and dip it in water to cool my tongue. And Abraham says, there is a, a great gulf between us um, from hence you cannot. And then uh, he says, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Now, this is a glimpse into hell, someone that did die. And when he died, he didn't say, I'm here because the blood wasn't there for me. And or I'm here because I wasn't elected before the foundation of the world. And looking at his brothers back alive, he realizes that the only reason why, on the trajectory that they're going, the reason why that they will also end up in hell is not because they're not elected or because the blood wasn't applied for them, but for what reason? Because they won't listen. And he says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And, and then he said, uh, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Listen to that, persuaded. Yes. Meaning it's whose choice. 
Is it just election? Is it just irresistible grace? Is it just from the foundation of the world? Are they just totally deprived that they can't hear, understand, believe the gospel? Or is it that God died for them too, and the only reason why they will end up in hell because they won't listen. They won't hear Moses and the prophets. They have them, and and they're not persuaded. And they wouldn't be persuaded even if one rose from the dead. And think about that too. Lazarus comes back from the dead. People that are stuck in the way they believe, they're going to not believe that Lazarus came back from the dead. The same way people want to say that Jesus never rose from the dead. It doesn't matter even that one rose from the dead. still not going to believe. Yeah. And it's because it's not because the, the atonement wasn't there. And what an amazing story because Lazarus did rise from the dead and the people still didn't believe on him. And that's why Jesus said it. That's why the father said it. Look, they have Moses and the prophets, but it was their choice. Okay. Uh, like he said, like Jonathan said, the one persuaded him, Hey, if you send Lazarus, uh, then he'll go, they'll repent. My family will change their mind and accept Jesus as their Messiah. And, uh, and the father said, no, they wouldn't. Uh, they have the Bible. And if they're not going to hear that, then it's not going to matter. John, we've talked about this in this limited atonement where it's a doctrine looking for a, a verse. Um, and I think some people get stuck in this because they say, I'm Calvinist. I'm, I'm, you know, that's what I am. And, uh, and that's what I believe. And so now you get, you have to defend it. So here's a verse that doesn't line up with your doctrine. So you've got to find some way to discount it, some way to uh, call it slice and dice it, some way to go into the Greek and the original or in the context. And you, you do everything you can to make sure this verse cannot be applied um, in the way it should be because it's going to mess up their doctrine. But... <clears throat> How many people really believe limited atonement? How many Calvinists really believe limited atonement? And the question is, does John Calvin believe limited atonement? Uh, could you share that? So when we talk about Calvinists, obviously it's not just uh, everyone believing the same thing. You have so many different degrees of Calvinists and there's not one definite authority. And that also makes it very difficult to argue against. And I understand all the ins and outs of that. We're trying to provide information on every different point. That way, whichever you may be or have heard, you can argue against or you can learn from. And and so it's not to attack anybody, but or, or the people that have come up with this doctrine at, and where John Calvin brings brings this doctrine to people. There was no Calvinists before uh, before this. So the people that bring in the the doctrines of Calvinism, John Calvin being um, one of the biggest names, does John Calvin believe in in limited atonement? Um, in one of the quote five points that that we would uh, look at today, uh, in his commentary on Galatians, John Calvin said, "This is a, a quote of him." It is the will of God that we should seek the salvation of all men without exception, as Christ suffered for the sins of the whole world. Now, I, I honestly don't care all that much what John Calvin said or what any man has said. Um, the, the Bible is my authority, but for someone that is Calvinist, what about John Calvin? Do you believe what John Calvin said? In his commentary on Colossians, he said, 
by the sacrifice of his death, all sins of the world have been expiated. All sins of the world. In his commentary on Romans, he said, Though Christ suffered for the sins of the whole world, it is offered through God's benignity indiscriminately to all, yet all do not receive him. Wow. Wow. Offered. <laughs> that last part offered, again. <laughs> indiscriminately to all, but yet all do not receive him. This is, this is a longer quote, um, but this is all quoted from John Calvin. The word many, and so this is something we're, we're talking about right now, um, and talking about many, does that mean all, or does that mean a select people? Um, th so this is directly from John Calvin. The word many is often as good as equivalent to all. And in fact, our Lord Jesus was offered to all the world. For it is not speaking of three or four when it says, God so loved the world that he spared his only son. Our Lord Jesus suffered for all, and there is neither great nor small who is not inexcusable today, for we can obtain salvation in him. Unbelievers who turn away from him and who deprive themselves of him by their malice are today doubly culpable. For how will they excuse their ingratitude in not receiving the blessing in which they could share by faith? That's John Calvin. Not receiving the blessing that, that they could share by faith. And they're, wow. they're doubly culpable. Mm. It's on exactly. them. It's wow. It, it, hey, it, we're going to have to become a Calvinist with those quotes. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it, just a couple more in his commentary on Hebrews. Uh, to bear the sins means to free those who have sinned from their guilt by sanctification. He says many, meaning all, as in Romans 5.15. It is, of course, certain that not all enjoy the fruits of Christ's death, but this happens because their unbelief hinders them. Not because... The atonement is not there, but because their unbelief hinders them. Does that make sense? Like that, that's what John Calvin said. The last wow. one, um, by his meditation, God is satisfied and appeased for he bore all the wickedness of all the sins of the world. Christ bore all the wickedness of all the sins of the world. I don't believe that John Calvin believed in limited limited atonement. In fact, from my understanding and what I can tell, limited atonement didn't even come in the scene uh, until uh, the ninth century by Gottschalk of Orbay. There is no early church father that, cl that claims limited atonement. Augustine himself even said that Jesus died for the sins of Judas. Judas was wow. most definitely a reprobate, right? He, he, he was possessed by a devil. And Jesus died for the sins of Judas. And I know that we're going to get the response of, yes, the atonement was enough for all, but the intention wasn't there for all. I've got a... Um, a uh, Pull, uh, an, an excerpt from Canons of Dort. Um, first, is, first, it was God's intention in the death of the Son to make atonement for sin, which is sufficient for the sins of all humankind. 
Secondly, God intended to apply that atoning work in the lives of the in the lives of the elect through the efficacious calling accomplished accomplished by the Spirit. Thus, the death of Christ was sufficient for all, but efficient only for the elect. And these were a people of God's unconditional choosing, not the people of whom God foresaw would choose to respond positively to universal enabling grace. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so that is the response to, to what I was just saying, and even John Calvin here, that yes, the atonement is for all, but it's not, <clears throat> it's not uh, effective to all because God didn't, even though he died for them, he didn't intend for them to have it. That he holds his, he holds his payment back, that God, God holds his pardon in his hand and doesn't give it to them and let them choose to accept it or reject it. Yeah. How this does doctrine, that show? This doctrine is very simply one that has to be put in to fit with their, to logically fit in with their doctrine. Okay. Because Jesus died. They believe that. Um, they have to believe on him. They believe that. Um, but when you get to, and we'll get to it next week, that irresistible grace, then it comes upon them. Um, and if God died for all, and there's irresistible grace, then everybody would be saved. So here's a doctor now. No, he didn't die for all. He only died for the elect. So if he died for all and God's sovereign and there's irresistible grace, then all would be saved. Oh, nope, nope. He didn't die for everybody. He only died for the elect, for the chosen. It's a doctrine you have to have in there to make some kind of logic out of the doctrine that they have because it's not Bible. I mean, it is such a hodgepodge mix match of what you have to do to be able to try to make this thing fit because it doesn't. Right. And, and yeah, it, 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 it baffles me. I, I'm, as I learn more and more and more, I, I grieve for people that are so submerged into this because it takes up so much of their mind. Like, uh, there's a lot of study that's, that's gone into understanding all this when I'm pretty sure we're supposed to be able, be able to accept it as a child. Yeah. How's a child going to understand all this? Yeah, it is. Um, so we're going to keep going on this. We've got uh, two more lessons. Um, this, is, this one won't be a two-part one, and I don't think the other ones will be. So um, we'll talk some about it, Irresistible Grace. We'll talk about that um, uh, next time we do this, and then uh, in the uh, preservation um, of the saints. So we'll talk about that. And then we're probably going to go into um, a few more things just to sort of summarize this out. We're probably going to make this into a, a college course um, on Calvinism to help people with that uh, since we've taken the time to put it together, and so we'll put some tests there if you want that. Um, I'm Jonathan. I got one more thing to close on afterwards. Anything? Any other thoughts? Any other thing you wanted to bring out or mention or or help people with? Uh, anything that comes through? Um, there, there's other verses that they like to take, but they're mostly on the same lines of uh, of the things that we've covered. If you can read many, or if you can look at, okay, are they just reading this into it? Um, use, use wisdom, use the Holy Spirit when you're reading this. You're going to come across verses that you go, oh, it said he died for these people. Well, does that exclude all the other people that he said he died for? Um, right. Keep reading. There's more to the Bible than just that. Um, the, but there's other things that tie into uh, um, 
Ephesians uh, 5.23, um, <laughs> which is, is funny. But it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Well, that's true. He is the savior of the body. And so they like to use verses like this and exclude everyone else. See, he's only savior of this. Well, that's if you're putting, what stipulation are you putting on getting into the body? And this is where you go back to uh, unconditional election. And and that's why when, when R.C. Sproul says that if one point of this falls, then the, all of it will fall because they do hang on to each other. So we're talking about one, you're going to inevitably get into an, another one. But who is the elect? How do you become a part of the body of Christ? How do you become a part of the bride? Well, we've gone through that in election. But so, yeah. He is the savior of the body. He is the savior of, of the church. Um, on, on, I guess, for, to wrap that up for me, um, did God in, meet his intentions? Did he fail? Because they, they want to add that on there as like, oh, you think that if, or, or that they believe that if, if God didn't, his blood wasn't enough. It didn't save everybody. God wanted, wanted. He's not willing that any should perish, right? So you believe that, that he failed in what he, what he wanted to do. If he wanted everybody to get saved and they didn't get saved, then you don't believe, like as, as us, we don't believe that, that he accomplished what he intended to do and God failed and can God fail? And No, God didn't fail. He laid out a plan, a simple plan at that. And his intentions were to die. He died. His intentions were to uh, have the atonement for us. That's there. His intentions were to plead with us to accept it. If you accept it, you have it. And those that don't accept it will have the alternative. He doesn't fail in his intentions. It was his intentions that if you accept his son's payment, that you'll be saved. He's met all his intentions, and God's never failed. So I, this, to me, I, I, I don't see this a lot, at all, and that's why I think John Calvin and so many others um, did not believe in limited atonement, and, uh, and I think it should just crumble away and fall like all the other points. Amen. It's very true. So, um, by the way, if you have questions for us, it says it on the end of the podcast, especially on this Calvinism, feel free, email them in, fundamental, the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll do our best to answer those, okay? And hope you can tell, I mean, we're not hateful, we're not mean. Sometimes we get a little animated, but we laugh and smile and, and we care. We'd love to help. Um, I believe that um, I, don't, I have not said, nor do I believe that, that they're not saved. Uh, the first um, one we did talked about wolves and sheep's clothing, and we'll take some more time with that sometime uh, with that. But if someone believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, then they're saved. And the doctrine of Calvinism is by grace. Um, they just think that 
it was irresistible and they had to accept it. But as long as they accepted Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection as their, uh, as their Savior, the thing that saves them, they're saved. I don't think they're lost. Um, but I think they're, they are hurting people. I don't believe it's a cult either um, because a cult, a religious cult is someone who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They believe the deity of Christ. They believe the Trinity. I don't believe it's a cult. I believe it's a false doctrine. And, uh, and, um, and I believe it could very easily be a damnable doctrine by teaching people that it's only for some and not for others. And people think, okay, I must not be one of the chosen ones. And they don't accept it. They don't realize, no, this is for everyone. And so um, that's the verse I wanted to, to leave with. And I love the word whosoever. It's used so many times in the Bible. And again, I'm sure that whosoever to them is not really everybody. It's just a few people. But, you know, it, it, it's for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My dad had a, a Titac um, pen that said, I am a whosoever and would wear that around. And, and we are whosoever. But this verse, Revelation 22, 17, we're at the end of the Bible. One more invitation. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. It's whosoever, whosoever will. You can take it. You can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you choose to. It's a choice that God gave us. Um, and uh, looking forward to going into more of that. But please feel free if you have a question. We'll not be hard, cruel, mean to you. Um, uh, we'll, we'll respond the best we can to try to get an answer for that. Uh, final word, Jonathan, anything? Uh, for, God so, uh, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. It's beautiful, beautiful. No condemnation from him. It's, it's, uh, he, he wants the world to be saved. That's, that's all. The world. The world. Awesome. God bless. Take care. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com.